and welcome to episode 1115 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Bringer, joined by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Also okay. This is uh, <laughs> I, uh, this is the first time I've ever had to search my own email inbox for the words glory hole. <laughs> and what did you find? Okay, so we have I think some sort of some sort of answer. We were discussing last week the Glory Hole Recreation Area in Northern California, mm-hmm. and uh, neither one of us is really entirely sure what a glory hole was. Well, I mean, we know what a glory hole is, but we didn't know we didn't know what sort of glory hole would have a, a recreational area named after it, presumably right. supported by the American government. So we got several emails. I don't know if it was up to the six, the half dozen that I predicted. Uh, I don't. I think it exceeded. Six, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't keep meticulous track. So let's see. Uh, maybe the most detailed email seems to have come from Ben Johnson. We can call him uh, Ben J, or maybe B Johnson. BJ, probably not. Uh-huh. But in any case, now that his name is out there, a glory hole has to do with a uh, a dam and a body of water. And why don't I just uh, why don't I just read this down? Having grown up in close proximity to a prominent one that referring to glory hole, I felt I should chime in. The type of glory hole you mentioned is usually in a large body of water by a dam. It's an overflow spillway for excess water if the level gets too high and would otherwise threaten the integrity of the dam. I've never been to the particular one you mentioned, but there is a well-known, parentheses to locals, glory hole in Lake Berryessa by the Monticello Dam. There's a sweet picture on the lake's Wikipedia page of it in action, linked in the email, not linked in this conversation. I remember boating in the lake as a kid and being super afraid of getting too close and falling in. I highly recommend that anyone who's listening to this buy some sort of source of internet material. You should just Google Lake Berryessa, B-E-R-R-Y-E-S-S-A, Lake Berryessa, glory hole and see the uh, pretty incredible pictures of what that looks like when the water is uh, at a very high level and going into the hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone, maybe it was Ben, sent us a video, a link to a video of a drone flying over one of these glory holes and it was pretty cool. It looks like a giant whirlpool and you can't see why the water is going down there when it's covering the glory hole, but it is uh, quite a sight. So yeah, we learned something. I don't know much about the the lake near to the glory hole recreation area that was being discussed, but I just I'm going to assume going to assume that it is dammed and that the dam has a glory hole or at least used to. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that assumption is incorrect. Maybe it is just a really really dirty kind of recreation area maybe maybe it is named because somebody thought no i like going to glory holes but uh, you know i don't know uh teach teach their own but at least now we have one definition of what a glory hole is in a uh in a a family-friendly way yeah and thanks to everyone who also submitted other funny names for areas and uh big bone lick state park in Boone County, Kentucky was a popular one. Multiple listeners submitted that one. And uh, that comes from fossils that were found there and also a salt lick that was there. So you put those things together, big bones and the salt lick, you get big bone lick. And that explains that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I had a couple highlights or lowlights I wanted to show you. I don't know if you saw... Brandon Crawford's bunt over the weekend. Oh, I sure did. Let me just interrupt you, though, real quick, just to point (laughs) out, because I had forgot to mention that uh, something I stumbled upon, I think it was last year or maybe the year before, uh, the Whiskey Dick Wildlife Area. (laughs) 
Uh, it is a uh, it is a protected area in the Columbia Basin, Whiskey Dick Wildlife Area. Anyway, please continue with your baseball conversation. Yeah, so you saw this bunt. This is Brandon Crawford. The tweet I saw called it the worst bunt attempt of all time. Hashtag don't bunt. This was against Clayton Kershaw, so understandable that someone would look silly against Clayton Kershaw, and I'm surprised that baseball players don't look silly more often. I guess they look silly fairly often, but this was an extremely uncoordinated <laughs> bunt attempt, or at least it looked that way. And what happens is the the ball is... More or less, it's on the inside part of the plate, I guess. It is, I don't know if it would have been a called strike or not. It was a strike because he offered at it, but it was framed. It was not far outside the strike zone. But Crawford, I guess, trips as he is beginning <laughs> the bunt attempt. So it's not, it looks like it would have been almost a drag bunt, like he was kind of halfway out of the box already. And his front foot just uh, catches or buckles as he makes that step and so not only does he miss the pitch with the bunt attempt just completely whiff but he also falls down and is on all fours he's on his hands and knees and uh, (laughs) lingers there for a moment gets up slowly and gingerly and uh, it looks very embarrassing this is how I think a normal person would look playing baseball and we don't get to see actual (laughs) graceful baseball players like Brandon Crawford look this way all that often. Just an accident, but a funny moment. I think somewhat important to point out, not only did Brandon Crawford whiff on the button fall down, he fell down while taking what appeared to be several steps forward. So it was like a delayed (laughs) fall. He wound up falling probably maybe a fifth or a quarter of the distance toward the mound. Yeah, coming his out hands of the are outside box. of the batter's box yeah. when he finally comes to a stop it's, here. <laughs> it's really something extreme. I've never, I, I've never seen that kind. I've never seen anything like of that genre. We've seen players like overswing and fall down, and the helmet comes off, or they go down to a knee or whatever. But I've never, I've never seen like the aggressively incompetent bunt where a player <laughs> just like launches himself forward into the grass so congratulations brandon crawford baseball does show you something new every day and also uh props to brandon crawford for responding to that gif in turn with a gif of homer simpson retreating into a bush oh i didn't see that well yeah, it was uh, uh... I, be- I believe one sam miller or maybe no it was grant grant uh grant Brisby retweeted uh the brandon crawford response uh uh-huh. this morning well that's appropriate because i was gonna say that we were both a- Basically, our reaction is like Nelson from The Simpsons just pointing at the guy who falls (laughs) down and saying, ha ha. But it was worthy of that sort of response. I have one more highlight to show you, which I have just sent you also. And this is kind of at the opposite end of Mm. the spectrum of coordination. So it's been a while on this podcast since we watched an Andrelton Simmons highlight and just marveled at it in real time. But that's what I want to do here. This is from the Astros-Angels game on Sunday. And this is the kind of play that might go unnoticed. It's it's not one of those spectacular Simmons plays where he makes some incredible grab in the hole and then he pops up and he throws it and you can't understand how he did that and it looks like he defied gravity. This is more of an effort play. So what happens here is... There is a single to right, and there's a runner on first when the play starts. So the runner on first is rounding second, and he positions himself, Simmons positions himself in the usual place, like for the cutoff, but 
He's between the second base bag and the third base bag, and it looks like he is just going to let the ball go through, let the throw through to third base. And so the guy who just singled, Carlos Correa, thinks that the throw is going through to third, but instead Simmons cuts it off and he throws to first, and he gets Correa leading off the bag. So clever deke to begin with. Then Simmons runs to second base where he receives the throw from the first baseman to, you know, block Correa's path to second. Then by this point, the runner on third is almost home. So Simmons then turns around, whips the ball to home plate, and then the catcher runs him up the line. And then Simmons sprints over to third base again to be ready to get the throw, which he didn't need to be because there was no throw. But in this play, he must cover like the most ground that an infielder (laughs) covers in a play of this length. You could probably stat cast that, but he's everywhere. It starts with his deke. And then he is sprinting over to second, and he's sprinting over to third. And this is sort of one of those almost like Jeter flip play type (laughs) things where it's like, how was he in that position? How did he get over there? How did he think to do that? So this was more of showing, I guess, the awareness of Simmons, but also just the effort that he puts into defense as opposed to just the incredible coordination and grace that he shows on his typical almost routine highlight. It's a really successful deke too because I had to watch the replay about five times before I figured out what was going on. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot more to it. Because you know he has the initial deke where it looks like he's going to let the ball go by and then he grabs it and he tries to get the runner off first, etc. But then there's all the rest of the play too where where he, both he and the catcher are sprinting toward third base and I had to try to figure out who had the ball. So then I had to go back and rewatch. <laughs> yeah. So he he successfully deked me kind of like when a player dekes a cameraman. Except in this case, I guess I'm not the cameraman. I'm just the observer but Simmons got me at home he got me a few times and because it's the kind of thing that you can't really measure uh, and you I don't even know how a player gets like defensive stat credit for something like this because you know you are basically on the field when an out is made on the bases but you don't get direct credit for it because we can't really measure it it's hard to be able to compare Simmons to other players like I don't know if there are other shortstops who make deeks like this or who have anything that's even close to his on-field awareness it's it's fun yeah. to think that nobody does because it's most fun to think about those just like a situational awareness outliers but I really have no idea all I know is when I've watched baseball games I haven't seen anyone who seems as clever as Simmons but maybe maybe I don't pay enough attention to this stuff but Simmons is Simmons is a lot of fun I don't think that there's anyone who does what he does yeah I guess deeks are maybe one of the few aspects of defense that we have not quantified to this point I wonder whether this is one of the things that like baseball info solutions takes into account when they have video scouts and they have this whole long list of good plays and misplays. I wonder whether Deeks count at all, but that's something that you probably can't even stat cast. So you'd have to have someone watching and counting all the Deeks and some Deeks probably aren't even on video. So that's probably just kind of a blind spot. And it's one of those things that, you know, there's probably not some super deeker whose deking is worth like wins every season or something like that <laughs> but in the way that you know Javi Baez is a really good tagger and we all became aware of that when tagging was not really a, a skill that 
people generally thought of as a skill necessarily. And that, I think, has been quantified to some point, or at least, you know, you can look up transfer speed and and that kind of thing. So uh, maybe deking falls into the same category. Maybe there's some masterful deker who is uh, adding runs every single season from deking, and maybe it's Simmons. So here's why I think that maybe we are the wrong two people to be co-hosting the same podcast, because so often you will end up saying what I'm right about like I was just going to bring up the Javier Baez tags and then <laughs> yeah. you do, and when we're talking to, to some guests I can't count the number of times where like the next question you ask was the next question I was about to ask and so <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe there's maybe there's too much overlap between the two of us maybe we need to take a break <laughs> yeah we need someone who just thinks nothing like us and who we can't stand and uh, <laughs> says things we would never think of saying to be a, a third co-host possibly yeah but he works for Fox Sports <laughs> All right, so this is not the topic or the main topic for today, but we almost can't not talk about Bruce Maxwell, which is not something that we would have ever said before on this podcast, probably. But Bruce Maxwell became, as far as anyone knows, the first MLB player to kneel during the national anthem, joining the more widespread protests in other sports in response to it's not exactly clear if there's one specific thing it's in response to at this point i think the meaning of that gesture has broadened a bit initially it was a police brutality and discrimination kind of protest now it is still that i think but maybe also a response to donald trump's very public comments condemning people who are doing this sort of protest And that, of course, only strengthened athletes' resolve to make some sort of stand or the opposite of stand in this case. So we wanted to just acknowledge it, say a few words about it. You actually had a somewhat earnest tweet about it, although maybe that was just a setup for your Denelson Lamette joke one tweet later. (laughs) (laughs) But was there anything in particular you wanted to say about Maxwell? God, it was uh, uh, maybe among the least important angles of this, but as I was paying attention to everything that was taking place, because this this was the story all weekend long, and it began with you know, our president's denouncement of protesting football players, and then basketball kind of took over the spotlight the next day, yeah. and then it was, what, Saturday night when, when Maxwell mm-hmm. took the knee, and it was at that moment when I think it, it clicked in my head that, okay, now now it's spread here. Now it's spread to the thing right. that we yeah that we have to care about that we that we cover that we write about and now now already already it's been so difficult on a daily basis to wake up and write about baseball for like the last year or so just because there's been so much that is of greater importance going on mm-hmm. and now it's just like another another layer to that we're like today i'm sure i'm going to write two whatever articles about whatever baseball analysis and it's just I, my i don't know how my heart can be in it because it's just not the story that matters whatever those articles are because i haven't been alive long enough to have gone through many of these like watersheds in in uh, american sporting history mm-hmm. i'm sure there have been a few that i'm just not recalling off the top of my head but this feels like it's some sort of turning point i don't know exactly where things are turning but it feels like this is i don't know if it's the politic politis politis oh my god i'm stumbling on this word <laughs> politicization 
politicize. I don't know if this is the official politicization of of sports, or maybe it's if this is just about athletes fully coming to understand the the gravity and and the visibility of the platform that they have. Because in this country, we have given athletes one of the most powerful platforms that exists. And it only makes sense that in some amount of time, athletes would start to take advantage of that because they, they begin to realize, oh, I have all of this power. Why am I not using it to fight for whatever causes that I believe in? And of course, we've had uh, outspoken athletes before on, on, on all sides of things, but it is just it's so widespread now. And it's it's not going to like Maxwell is go, he said he's going to kneel mm-hmm. henceforth. I don't know. Right. When I was picking up my girlfriend from the airport yesterday, after her trip near the Glory Hole Recreation Area, we were I was explaining, like, okay, so here's what you missed. Sports changed this weekend. Sports changed forever. Yeah. And uh, the question that we lingered on because we couldn't figure out what the answer was, was so, like, what would what would it take for it to stop? And that right. I don't know. Because, yeah. you know, it's not like, <laughs> let's have a conversation. Let's, let's fix it in America. I don't know what the end goal is. So it's just going to be kind of ongoing until I don't know when. Yeah, Michael Bauman said that on the Ringer MLB episode, which is probably up by the time (laughs) the episode you're listening to is up, we asked Jeff Passan about this because Passan is, I think, the only reporter Maxwell spoke to on Sunday. So we got the details on their conversation. But yeah, Michael made the same point that if Maxwell is going to protest until society changes essentially then (laughs) that's probably going to take longer than his career so he might be kneeling forever so yeah I think you know I think one thing that distinguished this was just the way he went about it you know I don't really understand how anyone I understand but I can't totally sympathize why with anyone gets all that upset about this sort of gesture because it's just a protest that a player feels like he should make and I can't imagine being bothered by that. I don't see it as something disrespectful. And especially in Maxwell's case, because of the way he went about it, which is he talked to his teammates first. He talked to ownership. They had a statement ready to go when he did this in support of him. They had, you know, teammates supporting him during this gesture. Mark Hanna had his hand on Maxwell's shoulder and will continue to do that and he was embraced right after and Maxwell of course comes from a military family was born at a military base has a father and grandfather who are veterans it's clearly not intended as some sort of you know sign that the country is not worthy of respect or the flag or the anthem or any of those things it is just pointing out that there are things that could be improved and this is one way to bring attention to that and he had his hand over his heart and he faced the flag so again I don't think that this is something that anyone should be mad about you don't necessarily have to think that you would have done the same thing and you would have made the same sort of gesture but the way that he did it seems unobjectionable to me even by the standards of this sort of protest and even so I had to you know block or remove a few people from the Facebook group over the weekend (laughs) which is not something that I normally do I don't moderate it very closely but there was all sorts of inflammatory stuff in there related to this and yeah I was watching actually a video of Steph Curry on Saturday responding to Donald Trump's comments about Curry declining to come to the White House for the celebration of the Warriors championship and I was just thinking 
this is so pervasive in other sports and baseball has just completely escaped or hidden from it. And there are a lot of reasons for that. It has to do with the, I think, racial and geographic makeup of baseball. It has to do with the fact that black athletes are an extreme minority in baseball, whereas they are the majority in football and basketball. It has to do with the schedule, as we're saying. Maxwell is going to have to be kneeling and answering questions from reporters (laughs) about the kneeling every single day. I mean, the season is almost over, but there's another season next year, and it's not like football where there's one game a week when you have to answer those questions so there are a lot of reasons why baseball has sort of stayed out of this up until now but yeah right after I was watching that Steph Curry video is when I saw the first tweets about Maxwell doing this so I was surprised that it had happened and that it was Bruce Maxwell who did it but I think it is you know admirable that he put himself in a precarious position possibly I'd like to think that that's not the case but he is certainly not a player who has his financial future or his playing future secured so if there is some risk here of a backlash of employment ramifications then Bruce Maxwell is one of the players who would be most subject to that yeah right like you said it's hard to imagine if you are going to stage this form of of protest it's hard to imagine someone doing it more thoughtfully than he did just trying to cross all the t's and dot all the i's and just trying to tie up all the loose ends such that the one remaining potentially objectionable aspect of it is just the protest in the first place. And of course, Mm -hmm. protests are are never widely popular. If they were, then there wouldn't be a reason for a protest, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) So of course, I don't want to end, I don't want to be in a situation where I refer to some sort of protest gesture as unobjectionable because of course, you can't necessarily judge what people will object to. And other people have very different values from myself. Both of my parents were in the military, but I don't have the same feelings than many other family members or veterans themselves do. So obviously there is something objectionable here because there are many, many people who object to it. And I'm sure they're not all just doing it for Twitter troll points. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a wave that has now, I don't know, encompassed isn't the right word. Whatever. The wave is crashed. Uh, what do whatever waves do? Uh, it's got it's got <laughs> baseball. Crest. Waves yeah. crest. Yeah. Wave, well, ha- is this wave they, cresting? They, I don't they know. Roll in. They they crash against the sand. I don't know. Yeah. Waves yeah. do a lot of different things. Any hydrologists out there? We might as well get emails from you too. Let's <laughs> let's talk hydrology. And talk about waves. Yeah. It's here. It's in baseball. You know, I'm I'm certain that for a while there have been this conversation has been taking place within baseball we have not been exposed to it but of course there's adam jones has been one of the most mm-hmm. outspoken faces talking about the the various racial concerns that baseball players are aware of and that they talk about in the clubhouse this is the first outward expression of this protest it's not going to go away there's uh, presumably going to be more of it slow at first but it's not going to go away we saw enough messages of player support for maxwell over the weekend that you know that he's not alone but this is it's going to be divisive and people can talk about how they want sports to be their escape but guess what too bad it's not right. sports yeah. is not an escape it's not an escape for them and it's not an escape for us and i know that you want it to be that but the reality is that as long as we elevate professionals well i guess not just professional sports but as long as we elevate sports and the and the players who perform them to such the level that we do it 
was in a sense inevitable that they were going to start mm -hmm. trying to use that because it is the greatest way that the players can affect the sort of change that they want to see. There's no there's no better alternative than this kind of protest. This is mm -hmm. the most disruptive one possible. Yeah, and I understand that reaction that people have where they want to keep politics out of sports. I understand that impulse. It is, of course, impossible because they are inextricable in so many ways, but there is a level on which you can watch and enjoy and appreciate baseball without thinking about the politics, really. And I know that there's a national anthem before every game and you have flyovers by military jets and so you can't really separate them, but you can enjoy baseball, I think, without necessarily thinking about public ballpark funding or pay <laughs> for minor leaguers or how immigration affects a few players every year. These are all things that, you know, maybe it's myopic to ignore, but there is just kind of that childlike level where you can enjoy baseball just based on who's winning and who's getting the hits and what the pennant race is shaping up to be and who's going to win the World Series. And I understand why people value having sports be that for them, because for all we know, they are consumed with national affairs in every other aspect of their life. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're ignoring larger issues in every facet of their life. It might just be that baseball is that escape for them, and I get it. And, you know, I didn't want to spend Saturday reading these threads in the <laughs> Facebook group where people were angry and insulting each other and trying to decide who went over the line and who didn't. That wasn't fun. I would have preferred, I guess, that those threads just be happy and about baseball and all of that, but there's just <laughs> no way to avoid it. And, you know, one possible response to that is just, well, too bad. And, and that's a fair response, I think. These are issues that a lot of people have to deal with on a daily basis. So if you want baseball to be this one area that is not affected by those things, well, you just may not necessarily get that because it's not really a thing that exists. But I do understand the impulse. It's just that when something like this happens and when you have the president directly tweeting about athletes' actions and essentially inciting more of them to take that action, there's just really no way to silo those things off neatly and even pretend that they are not related yeah and i guess we can say this as well if you if you are a fan and we'll just focus on baseball because this is our sport but if you are a fan who and you really just want baseball to be your escape and you don't want to think about baseball as having the same gravity as all these other subjects that are current you still can it's still going to be there first of all they don't even usually like televise the national anthem which mm -hmm. is the only area where these protests have been or will be taking place uh, you know when bruce maxwell crouches uh, and you see him on TV, it's because that's his job. He's a catcher. So you're not going to, you're not going to be confronted with this stuff during a game. There's still going to be all the same articles written as always about here's what this pitcher is doing. Here's how this guy is getting on base. Here's this guy slumping. Pennant race is still going to be the same. Playoffs still going to be the same. There's going to be some conversation that creeps into your your field division, I guess, about this stuff because you can't not have right on this podcast right now. Yeah, yep. uh, you can keep pressing that forward 10 seconds button, but we're just going to keep going. <laughs> you can avoid this mostly if you want to, and that's 
that's perfectly fine. For the longest time, I avoided world news or political news because I just didn't care to know. I don't do that anymore. That's my own choice. But I was pretty ignorant about what was going on. When I was in college, I didn't participate mm-hmm. and I didn't have all the same awarenesses of other students at school who had a lot of protests about things like the war. But yeah. in any case, the escapism will still be there. It'll just require maybe a little more effort on your part to avoid the people or places who are talking about what you're trying to escape. Mm-hmm. But it's all still going to be there. Box scores are going to look the exact same. MLB TV is going to look the exact same. And maybe for a few minutes of a given game's broadcast, the announcers will talk about some off-field issues. Or maybe, more likely, they won't because the uh, networks that broadcast these games probably don't want to offend a uh, half the audience when they are playing the game. Mm-hmm. So sports as an escape still so obviously present for you mm-hmm. to be able to escape. You can still come home from work and turn on a game at seven o'clock and watch baseball for six and a half hours until the game is finally over. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to sleep and that will be it. <laughs> right. All right. So moving on to the main topic for today, which can I, we can I interrupt real quick? Talk about it longer than we just talked about that. Yeah, sure. Because I realized I did have one very, very, very quick banter yeah. point. And just okay. to make sure that this feels balanced. So I wrote an article, not saying that the Marlins were good, but I wrote an article in celebration of the miraculous Miami Marlins. Right. When they swept the Padres, they were on a hot streak and they were at that point 66 and 63. And they were all of a sudden miraculously in the wild card race. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that article <laughs> was written and published, The Marlins lost 16 of their next 18 games, and they (laughs) were terrible, and they were the Marlins. Okay, so I only bring that up to make sure that you don't feel attacked when I point out that since you published your Aaron Judge article, Uh, (laughs) he has gone 17 for 53. Yeah, He has batted 321. These are the the triple slash. 321. Okay, that's pretty good. 451. We've seen that before. 962. (laughs) And his WRC Plus has been 240. Aaron Judge will not be caught by Mike Trout this season. Neither will Jose Altuve. But Judge and Altuve both atop the Fangraphs position player war leaderboard at 7.3. Aaron Judge, so totally back. Great Mm -hmm. timing. Always fun when these things go up when they do. Yeah, I was thinking of maybe bantering about the AL MVP race today, but it's so close. According to Fangraphs, it's literally tied right now that we might as well wait a week, I guess, (laughs) because who knows? Maybe Aaron Judge will hit 10 more homers or something in that time, and that could actually decide it. So we'll, I guess we'll do some kind of awards thing at the end of the year. It's not a subject I'm passionate about, but there Mm -hmm. are actually some interesting races this year, and not so much about who will win or or who will not, but just the thought process on how you (laughs) would decide that one person is more worthy than the other is kind of I, I think fit for discussion let me tell you one that's not yeah uh i'm supposed to vote for this <laughs> oh, year right. for the american league rookie of the year award and uh <laughs> yeah yeah they all whenever the ballots are sent out there's explicit instruction do not talk about your vote until the awards go public yeah. well let me tell you i'm not going to talk about it no <laughs> I I feel like I feel like by even acknowledging it, let's just say that the player who's going to get my first place vote is not the player that I expected to at the at the start of the season. I thought this no. was going to be Andrew Benintendi's season, and yes, he said it's a pretty good one. Too mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder whether this will be how close to unanimous it will be. Nothing is ever unanimous, but I just I mean, the player that you uh, cannot acknowledge that you will be voting <laughs> for 
has about a five win lead <laughs> on everyone else <laughs> at this point. So I just, I can't imagine voting for anyone else. So the nominal topic for today is actually inspired by a listener email from a Patreon supporter named Josh Wilson. We received it this morning and the subject line was good teams are good, bad teams are bad. And he wants to know whether this has been a bad baseball season. And I'm just going to cite his evidence here that it has. He writes, as of Monday morning, September 25th, the American League has only five teams over 500, all the playoff teams, of course, and 10 teams under 500, everyone else. The National League is a bit more balanced, but still mostly bad, seven above 500, eight below 500. So this year is not only very unbalanced, with 60% of the league being under 500, but it's been 19 seasons since the good teams dominated like this. And he lists the over and under counts in each season going back to 1999. He says, had to go back to 2003 just to find a year this unbalanced, but at least that was on the positive side. That year there were 18 teams over 500 and 12 under 500. We haven't had this kind of bad balance since 1999 which was also 12 over 518 under. The good news is that just five of the last 19 seasons have been quote-unquote bad by this measure, so we can generally conclude that baseball is good. But as an AL fan, I have to admit I'm eagerly awaiting the playoffs just to shed all of the extra cruft. So this seems a bit fluky to me, but what do you think? Is this the worst season since 1999? And I guess we have to decide what makes a baseball season good or bad and whether this is one of those things. And I have kind of a hard time with this. I've heard other people making this argument. I think Grant wrote something recently about how this is maybe the most boring September that we've seen in a long time. I've heard Stephen Goldman say that he has felt that this season has been just underwhelming on the whole. And I always have a hard time pronouncing a season good or bad because (laughs) there's just so much baseball in every season, the same amount of baseball, in fact, and I don't know how to decide whether a season is good or bad. I I guess the most obvious way would be competitive balance, would be parity, would be the exciting pennant races down the stretch, and in that area, this season certainly seems to fall short. I I guess you could go with surprise teams. You could go with great teams, which it seemed like this season had for a while, but then ended up not really having so much. You could go with record chases on an individual level. You could go with just the style of baseball that is being played overall, the offensive environment. There's a lot of ways and a lot of contributing factors here. So I always kind of have a hard time saying, oh, this season was good and that season was bad. It's also a personal thing for many fans. Obviously, it depends on how the particular team that they are following most closely did. So I don't know. There's no rigorous way to assess a season necessarily. But do you think that the lack of balance is a fair way? And do you have any thoughts on whether the season has been good or bad? I guess I can't speak to what it's like to come at this from an ordinary fan's perspective because as much as I do support one team a little more than the other teams, it's not that I don't come at baseball the way that the average baseball fan does. We come from sort of a weird position, uh, you you and myself. So I think that you look at how this season's played out and when we did all the preseason projections and even before the preseason projections, we all knew 
pretty well who is going to win each division. And indeed, it has worked out like that. We all right. expected the Red Sox, Indians, Astros, Dodgers, Cubs, and Nationals to win their divisions. We expected yep. them to be several games better than the, the next best team in each division. And guess what? They are. <laughs> yeah. The closest division right now is five games. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a week left, so whatever. It's not like there have been no division races at all. Red Sox had to pull away from the Yankees at some point. The Cubs, just this past weekend, had to officially dispatch the Brewers but I mean, did anyone ever really, anyone ever really think the Cubs are going to lose the division to the Brewers? No. Sure. You could say at the All-Star break, the, the Brewers were up, what, five and a half games at that point. So, you know, that was interesting. There, mm -hmm. There's been so much. And I know because when, when you and I think about baseball and we have to find stuff to write about, we get to just look, we get to hunt for stories. We get to story hunt. And so we can be entertained by anything on any given day. All we need is like one or two stories and that will be what suits us as compelling. And it was really interesting. The Cubs have underachieved this year. The The Cubs were never supposed to be in a close race in the first place. You think mm -hmm. it looked like everything was going to be set with the Mets and the Giants winning the National League wildcard. Well, guess what? They both suck. <laughs> and so instead we have like the Rockies. Good story. Mm -hmm. Still fighting for their playoff lives, but they're in the, the Diamondbacks. What a massive turnaround. The Twins lost 103 games last season. And they're going to yeah. make the playoffs with what rotation do they yeah. have? It's terrible. <laughs> they they traded away players at the deadline. The Twins, who were just recently trying to hold off the Rangers for the second wild card, both those teams sold. That's wild. Yeah. And like you have the player who I can't talk about maybe winning an award on the Yankees, just yes. having like one of the greatest rookie seasons in history. And he yep. looks like he's already, he's clearly capable of doing things that only Giancarlo Stanton can do mm -hmm. in the game. That's insane. You have the question of, well, is is Clayton Kershaw still the best pitcher in baseball? And I don't know if that's true because you have Corey Kluber and Chris Sale. You have the, the Astros sort of like officially reaching sort of the peak after their rebuild. You have the Brewers who are rebuilding, but also eight games over 500 or yeah. four games over 500. That's right. a different topic, I guess. I don't know. I don't know which one I believe. <laughs> there's there's a lot. So I can't, I, I get that it's not a compelling season in that we don't have like a frenzied final week. Mm -hmm. All of the races are basically decided, except there's a little bit of uncertainty for the National League wildcard. So I get that this season has, in large part, wound up where we basically thought that it would except for i guess the the twins part yeah. and the diamondbacks rockies part so right. hey look i mean right there that that's a 30 percent playoff representation that we didn't expect mm -hmm. i think that's and the that's brewers pretty are good. two games out of that wild yeah. spot so yeah Although I think we we both know that this is just going to end up with the Cardinals taking that last spot, <laughs> all boring like. Yeah, but that could whatever. Happen yeah, uh. yeah. So well, you just made a pretty good argument in favor of this season, I suppose. I, I mean, it's been fascinating to me because of the home run record, and mm -hmm. you could argue that that is a better version of baseball. You could argue that it's a worse version of baseball. That's really personal taste, but just the phenomenon of all these home runs and why they're happening has made the season inherently interesting to me. And as a result of that, you get some individual performances that are really compelling. Maybe they're compelling because we just haven't adjusted to this run environment. But, you know, you have Stanton hitting all the home runs. You have Judge. You have smaller, more contained, but still very interesting streaks like Bellinger or Hoskins or, you know, uh, Chapman. I mean, just all of these guys who have come up and had these incredible runs, many of them rookies, and that has been really fun to monitor. And 
Yeah, I, I think we're we're ending on kind of a low note because we've got a week left to go in the season and the NL wildcard, the second NL wildcard is really the only spot that is realistically at stake here. And so that's a little lame and that is not the ending we were hoping for. It wasn't so long ago that we were talking about five-way tiebreaker scenarios and crazy endings to the AL wildcard race and that just didn't materialize. So we're not ending on a high note, but I, I don't know. And, and as you mentioned, the teams that turned out to be the best teams really were the predictable best teams. And we didn't get historically best teams as it looked like we would because of the Dodgers slump, because the <laughs> Astros kind of came back to the pack a bit. So you can't really say that this season was distinguished by, you know, one of or two of the best teams ever, as it looked like we might be talking about at various points in the season. So I don't know if this season will age well. I don't know if we'll look back at 2017 all that often, other than for the home runs and for the few guys who have hit the most home runs. We won't be looking at it like the last day of the 2011 regular season when things got crazy. There probably won't be that kind of ending. And, you know, maybe that's enough to say that it's a subpar season. I don't think there's anything that makes me say it was a legendary all-time unforgettable season but they all kind of just blend together for me as soon as they're over and you remember things from each one but I just don't tend to think of individual seasons being great or not on a league-wide level so much right yeah it's hard I don't I don't want to judge it by the destination because even though the season has again there's going to be at least 30 percent surprising playoff teams three out of ten will be teams we didn't expect that's pretty good there's still room for for 40 Mm -hmm. yeah and the teams in the playoffs by the way as we've talked about are a pretty compelling mix of teams like a lot of teams that you know some teams that have big fan bases and are the most popular and accomplished teams but also a lot of teams that have never won world series that have been bad for a while that have a lot at stake here. So I think the playoffs themselves have the potential to be really good. And so if if that's the case, then we might remember the season for that. Oh, yeah. No, playoffs. Are, I mean, every single division winner is like an elite level baseball team. So there's it's either going to be a story of, well, this juggernaut stomped this other juggernaut or, hey, the Twins won the World Series. Who knew how that was going to happen? But you look at so not only is the playoff representation going to be a little bit surprising. I don't know what we want out of a season, but probably 30 or 40 percent surprising playoff teams would be around what we'd like because you don't want 100 percent surprising playoff teams because that means that what we expect doesn't matter. You want baseball to be a certain amount of predictable, but I I don't think you want to judge it by the destination either because it is the journey of the season. The fact that as as I was thinking about not too long ago, like the the Brewers have been fighting the Rockies and have been kind of like bandwagoning the Brewers to get there just because whatever. Mm -hmm. I I guess there's something that is appealing to me about the Brewers and I've been like thinking about them for the last few weeks. Like, can can you just overtake the Rockies? But then I have to remind myself, oh wait, but the Rockies are also a Cinderella story. It's just, it feels so old because it's been five and a half months Mm -hmm. since the Rockies started being good. It's like, even if the Brewers don't pull it off, there's still like a surprising, this is just, it reflects how long the season is that now in the year where the Rockies are finally like good again, I'm already kind of just used to it. Uh But you figure, yeah, where we are now, there's only one moderately entertaining thing to watch for the final week. But like, remember, very recently, the American League wildcard race involved the entire American League. And sure, teams have faded out of that recently. But still, that was more than five months of something to watch. And you figure after action on August 23rd, after action on August 23rd, just over one month ago, the Indians were 20 games. 
worse than the Dodgers. They're one game back. Yeah. Yeah. They're one game back for the best record. The best team that we were talking about the Dodgers is challenging the Mariners win record or the other team's win record. So whatever. Mm-hmm. But the all-time wins record. And then they immediately just couldn't win a baseball game. And then the Indians ripped off the right. second asterisk longest winning streak mm-hmm. ever, yep. which is insane. Yeah. Like you you still think the, the A's got a book written about them because they went <laughs> on a winning streak. And like this is an un, it's been for a September where like most of the races have been decided. Oh, my God. It's been an interesting September just because of like two teams. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. The Dodgers entertained us in multiple ways right they entertained us because it looked like they were one of the best teams ever for a while and then they entertained us because they couldn't win a game for weeks and so that was fascinating on both sides of that so yeah i mean i'm I'm talking myself into liking this season more than i did at the beginning (laughs) of this conversation you could probably do this with almost any season do you Mm -hmm. prefer this kind of outcome predictability wise because we had the season what was it two years ago when just everything was upside Mm -hmm. down and the projections were further off than they had ever been in the projections era, and teams that were supposed to be terrible were really good, and it just felt like we didn't know anything about baseball for one year. Or this year, where all the teams that were projected to win the divisions are going to win the divisions, and yet there is still a little bit of unpredictability. You've still got a few teams that exceeded expectations. So do you prefer this kind of season where you kind of feel like you do have a handle on how baseball works, but there's still a little intrigue on the margins or that kind of season, which was just crazy and almost made us feel unmoored from being (laughs) able to analyze baseball, but at the same time was very surprising and maybe in a sense chaotic and Maybe that is more entertaining in a way. They're both deeply entertaining. The other one, a little more entertaining, just coming from the position of I want to have my job. I think that we need a little more of of this season because that (laughs) season made us look very silly. I think that if I had to come up with some sort of like uh, some sort of, I don't know, matrix isn't the right word, but some sort of template for what I want out of a season, I would think that going into any year, say this year, we go in with six Uh, teams that seem like pretty strong division favorites i would have liked to see one or maybe two of those division favorites upended somehow like if the brewers or even the cardinals somehow overtook the cubs that would really seal it for me you still want the teams that you think are going to win to win most of the time because you do want to at least i want to feel like i have some sort of handle but i wouldn't mind just one collapse but we still have those collapses because like the giants have been awful the mets have been awful the pirates have been they haven't collapsed in the same way but they are quite bad the blue jays have collapsed the mariners have used more pitchers than like anyone ever so there have been those teams that have sort of fallen apart but when you don't have a division leader doing it then you you miss a little bit of that i don't know visibility or significance or impact or something but outside of that like i thought coming into the year we knew the five nationally playoff teams and we only knew three of them so that's not that's not bad Mm mm-hmm Yeah. All right. So I'm going to say this was uh, a baseball season and (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think it was a bad baseball season. I don't know what would be a bad baseball season. I'm trying to cast my mind back to a season that I would say, wow, that season sucked. I mean, I guess 1994, if they don't complete the season, (laughs) that is a bad season. Otherwise, eh, I don't know. I don't know that. I I mean, I guess there are little things on the margins, the races, the standout seasons. You think back, obviously, to seasons that had record chases or 
legendary finishes, but even seasons that had legendary finishes, those finishes were probably of most interest to like two fan bases and every other fan base didn't particularly care. So I don't know. Just the idea of judging seasons or rating seasons on a league-wide basis is sort of strange to me. But this one, I think when you just look at the standings or what the standings will be on the last day of the season, I get why you would say it's not a good season. But if you look back at the whole thing, the whole six plus months, eh, had a lot going for it. So I agree with you, going back to 1994, I agree, you have to complete the season, but I know we've talked about this before, but just just to really drive the point home so that everybody can understand what was great about 1994, aside from how they didn't complete the baseball season, the four worst teams in the American League were the four teams in the American League West. Yes. The team yes. in first place when the season ended, the Texas Rangers had 52 wins <laughs> and 62 losses. Yes incredible season that was taking place and the <laughs> yeah. the real downside of that season not completing is we could have had a terrible baseball team win a division and in the playoffs which would have been fun yeah i heard mark normandon reference that recently he was saying that people get upset about some things that we didn't get to see the end of that season like i don't know what the matt williams home run chase and the expos being great and and all of that but he is most upset that we didn't get to see the outcome of that AL West, which could have been and seems like it would have been a sub-500 division winner. All right, so we will leave it there. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who've already pledged their support include Chad Post, Ronald Janiszewski, Jeff Gilbert, Matt Musia, and Aaron Schaefer. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Please don't say anything that will make me have to kick you out. <laughs> Most people haven't. You can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. As mentioned, there's a new episode of the Ringer MLB show up with Jeff Passan. Always love a Passan episode. And we didn't just talk about Maxwell. We also talked about netting. We talked about Otani. We talked about some unrelated things. You can find that on the Ringer MLB show feed. You can keep your questions and comments for Jeff and me coming via email at podcast.fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system. And we will answer some of those emails emails on our next episode. Talk to you soon.